But the thing that disturbs me most is the fact that the American people have become so callous to these things that we're no longer appalled at what is happening. We've become so accustomed to immorality that it no longer seems to us to be immorality. Where in heaven's name is our sense of decency and propriety? Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. It's Fearless with Mark and Amber, a husband and wife show sharing behind the scenes from the mission field of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. I'm Amber Archer, your co-host of this show. As the Lord has called us, we are creating movies from a biblical perspective about the issues impacting our culture and society and showing the church at work. You can learn more about us and the movies we are making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. It's also a great place for you to make that one-time or monthly donation to help support a missionary family on this journey and bring the films we're working on to the marketplace. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on donations to make these movies and this podcast possible. You become a force multiplier for truth when you partner with us through our nonprofit Fearless Features. And joining me as usual is my husband, filmmaker, author, and speaker, Mark Archer. Hello. Hello. So... Mm-hmm. We usually like to do news of the day. News of the, news and views? News and views? Oh, hold on. I'll put on my news hat. Your fedora? Yeah. I'm putting on my news gathering hat. Great. I you're gonna, you're going to need a hat for this one. My black fedora. It's a black hat. I'm a black hatter today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I took off my tinfoil cap to put on my black hat. Because your head just might explode. Uh, just the facts, man. Just the facts. Okay. <clears throat> yes. So what you got today? Oh, I got some... Good stuff today. Um, but where do you start, really? Where do I start? So this uh, this is originally on the Daily Caller. Uh, pulled this from World Net Daily, but this was written by Mary Margaret Olhan, who we had a little bit of uh, interaction with. She wrote uh, one of the first articles about Inwood Drive. Yeah, and so we got to talk to Mary briefly. Um, a lot of people probably have heard about this, but let's talk about it. Writer Flora Gill, don't know who she is, sparked backlash on Thursday by advocating for porn for children, where, quote, no one gets choked. <sighs> she said, quote, someone needs to create porn for children. Hear me out. Young teens are already watching porn, but they're finding hardcore, aggressive videos that give a terrible view of sex. They need entry-level porn. A soft core site where everyone asks for consent and no one gets choked. So, uh, her Twitter byline, she's a blue check on Twitter, by the way, that makes her important. <laughs> Boasts of writing <laughs> for like, that? <laughs> GQ, ST Style Magazine, Grazia, Evening Standard, The Sunday Times Magazine, and The Radio Times. Great, none of which I read. But she deleted her tweet. <laughs> because of the backlash well how insane yeah she said absolutely not getting swept up into another twitter cesspool so deleted tweet before it picks up steam oh it's too late (laughs) obviously not an actual solution but it is a real problem everyone take a deep breath thousands of twitter users disagreed replying to gill's tweets with screenshots of her original tweet (laughs) nothing ever disappears in social media land so (laughs) Um, well, she, so inevitably she, it's the same thing as people getting canceled. So she, right. did, she didn't want to be canceled, but uh, yeah, she canceled herself. <laughs> um, oh. I propose we seize the laptops of all journalists until we figure out what is going on. <laughs> that was commentator Lauren Chen. 
Um, Ellie Beth Stuckey, who's on. Uh, is she on the Blaze? She's or she, on the Blaze. She, it's. Uh, I've listened to her a couple times. Yeah, I can't remember the name of her podcast, but she wrote "A Millstone Would Be Much Too Merciful." <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me just add to this. Uh, Gil's comments follow calls for children to be exposed to kink performances at pride events throughout the month of June, such as a Washington Post op-ed published in late June that encouraged exposing children to, quote, kink culture. Yes, kink belongs at pride, and my and I want my kids to see it. That's, That's disgusting. The Washington Post. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there was somebody had shared, actually it was um, this past Sunday's, sermon from pastor jack hibbs mm-hmm. first time i've been ever been introduced to this guy and i've li- heard of him never listened to him i've heard of him never listened to him don't okay. know anything about him right so there's there's that so but we just finished watching his sunday sermon it was um removing the mask oh behind, behind, behind the, the mask, mask part three mm-hmm. and he had a great excerpt in his sermon from the American Association of Pediatrics, because he was talking about these very things because he's out in California. So Mm -hmm. they're dealing with a lot of this LGBTQ and pedophilia, Mm -hmm. homosexuality. I mean, it's just rampant. So but he quoted and and I'm going to quote this here in a minute. American Association of Pediatrics 2008 article research study on sexual assaults among adolescents. Okay. Okay. So this is what psychologists now are telling us. The availability of extreme to hardcore pornography among children has produced within them thought processes and emotional instability with damaging effect. The emotional and mental trauma experienced is that similar to or exactly as children who have been sexually abused from a young age. Okay, stop. Now, what is that saying? And Pastor... Hibbs does a great job of going through and explaining it because he said, you know, a child may never be touched in their life, but when a child is molested, it messes up their sexuality. Their hearts, minds, and chemistry cannot process what just happened to them. And a child who goes through and is exposed to hardcore pornography goes through the exact same PTSD as a child who is molested. Mm -hmm. So this woman is advocating for every child to watch pornography and what everyone is molested. Mm -hmm. Children are being mentally and emotionally molested at school through the pornographic sex education and the library books Mm -hmm. that are on the shelves. Parents, you have to look at the curriculum. You have to see what's available to your children on the school shelves. And they're being conditioned for it through social emotional learning. Oh, it's awful. Social emotional learning is is the program, the Mm -hmm. curriculum approach, if you will. We've had we've had many discussions about this. Jennifer McWilliams, Rhonda uh, Miller, talking about what this is and how damaging it is it is the the gateway drug if you will Mm -hmm. for bringing in all of this pornographic sex education um you don't have to have sel to have the pornographic sex ed but what sel does is it teaches kids to drop their inhibitions through this notion of 
accepting everyone, seek first to understand before you're understood. Mm -hmm. This whole notion of making everything a win-win, what it's teaching them, it's grooming kids to not put up a fight. Right. And so when this stuff comes along, then they've been conditioned that, well, this is okay. And if I resist this, then it makes me a racist, a bigot. It makes me a hater. It makes me a bully. And I don't want to be that. I want to be, I want to, I want to let everybody feel a win-win. Well, and, and let me just remind you, we talked about this on a, on a previous uh, podcast and I even left the, the school's social emotional learning competencies PDF that they're using. Okay, so this is social emotional learning defined by this. We're in Indiana. So this is the Indiana Department of Education, their social emotional learning competencies. Social and emotional learning focuses on the development of individual qualities, strengths and assets related to social, emotional, cognitive and moral development as well as well as positive mental health. Whose morals? That's what I'd like to know. Who's, mm. Whose morals are you teaching mm-hmm. through this program? Mm-hmm. I don't send my kids to school to learn morality. I expect my morals, our home's morals, to be reinforced at the school. I don't teach, mm-hmm. we teach morality at home. We're the primary instructors for our children. I send them to school to learn. Uh, academics. Well, and I think uh, Pastor Hibbs in his in his sermon um, rightfully pointed out, uh, you know, he he says in there, whose children are they? Mm-hmm. And and he just pointed out if we're not even able to show up at a school board meeting and we're not going to take the initiative to get involved in education. Have, have we washed our hands of our children when they when they go? Uh, he didn't say that. I'm just paraphrasing. Right. But but basically, where are we as parents? We we have to stand to protect our children. All right. And with that. So for those of you who may just be joining us, first time listener, welcome. Uh, Mark and I are working on a new documentary film called The Mind Polluters, which is all about the sexualization of children through the education system. So this is why we are going to be constantly talking about these Mm -hmm. things. So, Mark, do you want to give everybody a quick update as to where we are? How long have we been in this process? Um, What's going on? Where are we at today? And how much time do we think that we have till the end? (laughs) The end of... (laughs) The end. The end. Is the the end end near? Of the the project? The end of the project. Or the end of... (laughs) All things. Well, that's for the Lord to decide. Yeah. I'll let it like come. How Lord close quickly. are we to the end of days? <laughs> I think pretty close. But in the meantime, we'll continue our work. That's right. Uh, so when did we start this? It was it October, was Octo- September, September at the um, the Sexual Revolution Conference, which was in early October. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, let's say early October of last year is when we really started working on uh, this project called the mind polluters and um we had a lot of uh, intense uh conversations with people leading up to this to to kind of assess for for us we had to come to grips with what was going on yeah and educate ourselves Mm -hmm. and after we kind of shook off the disbelief uh then we started 
really diving into this and and in fact i just wrote a blog post on the website i'll leave a link to it in the show notes Mm -hmm. and i and i um a life-changing post yeah because i actually shared a um video segment from blaze tv from glenn beck Mm -hmm. and it was global grooming and i shared that and one thing led to another and we're having conversations with people and (laughs) signing ourselves up for a conference and I'm going, what is going on? Right. And it really was, it really was the, um, the connecting with Rhonda Miller Mm -hmm. and Jennifer McWilliams and Rhonda sent a, um, a report that a research paper that she had helped Dr. Judith Reisman with. She, she helped her with the research and she sent it over with another one. There were so there was you know a hundred plus pages of research documentation, and I I sat down, and I started reading it, and I spent I think two days solid mm-hmm. just reading through this, and just shook my head and said, "This is absolutely staggering." Yeah, and that was really what um, what led to okay, we have to we have to talk about this. But so where we're at with the film right now is we've shot all of the interviews and we're in um, kind of this in-between phase where we are uh, we're doing the rough cut mm-hmm. with the, you know, this is the phase where you take your interviews and you start stitching it together. And this is where you, really with a documentary, this is where you start to figure out what the film wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because which sounds kind of weird if, if you've never right well it sounds weird <laughs> if you're used to uh, you know Netflix's idea of a documentary for example Netflix is notorious for scripting documentaries yeah and what that means is they start with an agenda you know it's going to be about this and then they go and they get interviews and they and they prompt people on their interviews no talk about this say it like this and it's not really it's not really a true documentary. It's it's all scripted. It's mm-hmm. like reality TV, right? Yeah. Um, we don't work that way. And so because we don't work that way, the process can take quite a bit longer sometimes <laughs> because you have to uh, you have to allow the story to be what it is. Now we we know what we want to talk to certain people about and we let them shine in their space right in, their expertise in, in their expertise and mm-hmm. what they can bring to the storyline but i'm not going to ask uh you know and we saw this when we interviewed ken ham mm-hmm. he said listen i'm i can't talk to you about what's going on in the schools that's not my that's not my specialty right we said i don't we don't want you to we got plenty of people we're not here about, to talk to you about that <laughs> we want to talk to you about worldview worldview and the church uh-huh. and that's and so you know that and it's all respecting people and not trying to take them out of context. Mm-hmm. So where we're at right now is doing that process and then uh, figuring out what additional materials we need to shoot and um, hoping that we'll stay on schedule and that the film will be done this fall. Right. So, but part of that is, you know, some, some days you make great strides and you add five, 10 minutes to the, to the baseline of the film. And then other days you, spend all day finding more material to or going through your interviews and trying to figure out you know where do I go next and um, I tell you some of the material that we have found that's making it into the film is beyond belief Mm -hmm. and you just there are days where 
you just have to walk away and say, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Yeah. But we've got a clip that we wanted to share with everyone. This is a clip from the film, right? From the rough cut of the film. And this clip is mm -hmm. for children ages yes. five and up. Mm -hmm. And this is being shown in classrooms all across America. Whoever uses the Amaze programming. Right. So if you if you want to get ahead of this and do your own research, this is on YouTube. Mm -hmm. All right. And it's approved for children it's because YouTube and Google think that this is just fine. Now, we made a decision with the film and you'll hear it in this clip that we are not going to lead people. We're not going to lead people further down the path of perversion of perversion we're going to share it but we're going to censor censor it as it should be mm -hmm. uh so bear in mind if you want to see what this stuff is and you've got your filters on high um then you can go to youtube and just look up amaze.org or you can go to their website amaze.org <laughs> and you will see they have hundreds of these videos and they're cartoons Yep. And this is made by an organization called Advocates for Youth. And this is designed for teachers to use in the classroom. So I'm going to play a clip. This is for kindergartners. Okay. Bear in mind, ages five and up mm -hmm. is what it says at the very beginning. Here it is. Where is John? I pee with my... That's very talented of you, John. But I would prefer you use the bathroom, my boy. And of course, to use the proper words I taught you when you talk about your body. Now go wash your hands. Why does John say p Some people are uncomfortable talking about their private parts, so they use silly words instead of the correct ones. But you and John know the proper word is p Pee or urine comes out the tip. I'm sure you've heard a friend use a silly word for their private parts, too. Mm, they called it a big But you know of a what some call the but it actually is called the People use lots of made-up words, but we shouldn't be afraid to use the correct ones, as we do for other body parts, like arms or legs. What? That's the correct word for private parts, like or I have another question. Sometimes my stands up in the air and it feels good when I touch it. When your stands up, it's called a Girls also have a private part that they may want to touch because it feels nice. The It's okay to touch your and learn what different parts feel like, but it's best to never do so in public. So I lost count of how many bleeps we put in. I don't know. And this is so let me just look back up. This is for ages five and up, okay, and okay. and this isn't even the whole thing. So this is this is cut down. Yeah, but this is you know this, and we have obviously bleeped out now. Fill in the blank. Fill you in can the blank. Get the idea, right? Uh, this is. I, I don't know what else to say other than it is so absurd that. This is acceptable. So there's a couple of things you can take away from this. Number one, uh, don't let your kids run around unfiltered on YouTube because this kind of stuff is acceptable. Acceptable. YouTube. This is YouTube kids. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. YouTube kids. Mm -hmm. Parents, grandparents. Well, because 
What we've learned through this process is the school knows better than the parents. Right. And right. so you don't and you don't need parental consent for things anymore. Right. So. You're just a dumb birth person. <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> no, you birthing persons. Okay, move on. We <laughs> need you to no. hand over your child to the village. We will now handle his, her, or correct pronoun usage. Okay. Child. Or personal preferences. <laughs> Yes. It's all absurd. It's 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 all absurd. It is uh to quote the pigeons, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Was that from Bolt? I think that's from yeah. Bolt. <laughs> you know what that means? You know what that word means? It's ridiculous. Yes. Oh, never a dull moment. So at so the beginning that's, that's the status of the film right now. This is this is what we're dealing with every oh, day. Yes. So when we come to something like that that we're going to show the audience, uh that took a while. I mean, that took, that was a two day process of going through that. How many times you got, you got to understand when you're editing this stuff, I have to watch this stuff. I've probably watched that unfiltered all the way through at least 50 times yeah. trying to figure out how do I use this? How do I appropriately use this? Do I use this? Yeah. And then I come in to blur things out. Yes. And then we have to blur. We, <laughs> yeah, we have, have to, to beep. Because, okay. And we have to blur the images on the screen. Yes. Because they are very graphic. Oh, and, and at the beginning of it, what's happening, what, what you can't tell when you're listening to it, at the beginning of it, they're in the park and the little boy is urinating on the bush. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the first thing. Wee! I go pee. Right? It's That's what he's doing. <laughs> I I don't I and there's more to that. Just go hey if you want to see it, go watch it. Right? Just make sure your children aren't around. I was gonna say, how many of us have gone out and peed in the bush? <laughs> but <laughs> not in public places. Yes. But I'm just We're not I'm showing it on the screen. Out, this is do you want this taught to your kindergartners? Is that Listen, is we we have a question. three-year-old? Yeah. And the next one is eight. And I don't want either of them. I don't even want my 11-year-old watching it. Yeah. Like, inappropriate. Yeah, it's pretty... Uh, and it's only the half of it. Oh, so it's, I mean, it's not even... That's not even scratching we, the surface. We have, we have so many more to share with okay. you. Okay. So, with that. So, at the beginning of the segment, mm -hmm. we played a clip from Billy Graham. The Reverend Billy Graham. Oh, loved him. I love. I still listen to his stuff today. But he's talking about Alfred Kinsey, yes. who we have talked about before on this podcast, who is basically like the father of the sexual revolution in America. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. things were happening before him, but he's the one who really took it and was financed and marketed through mm -hmm. his his books. And Dr. Judith Reisman, who we've had on here several times before, she was the researcher and knew the most about Kenzie and was the first one to really blow the whistle on his research mm -hmm. because he was molesting young children, saying that they were having orgasms, many orgasms through a 24 hour period, mm -hmm. you know, and nobody cared. But yet today it's a, the education that's happening in the schools today is because of Alfred Kinsey and mm -hmm. his fake research. That's why we have all of, all of the sex ed because mm -hmm. he made he led people to believe that children were sexual from birth, and he got that from molesting children and right. documenting it. 
Right. So the, the and and we're, we're going to, I think you have to do at least one full episode of this podcast just on Kinsey, just yeah. so that you really understand who he was, because even more than what Judith talked about, mm-hmm. what we've learned, what I've learned specifically is not only was Kinsey a fraud in that he was in that he was promoting this notion of kids being sexual from birth, the the data that he used, he stole. Mm. He he stole this data from a pedophile who, by the way, was a was a government employee. Okay, <laughs> there is another whole documentary, yeah, called Kinsey's Pedophiles: The Secret History of Kinsey's Pedophiles. Is it online? It's on YouTube. Oh, I'm there, gonna leave a link to it in a the show notes. Yeah, we'll put a link yeah. to it. Uh, it's a from I think it was '98. It came out, and it was a British uh, show, and it's it is staggering because they actually have. Uh, C.A. Tripp and uh, Pomeroy, who worked with Kinsey, they interviewed them and they're admitting to it. Oh, yeah, you know, we and, and they talk all about who this guy was and everything. But the thing that I took away from it the most was, wait a minute, Kinsey stole all this data. I mean, but and then, then they, wrote the research books. But then they also admit that they were they were also interviewing convicted, imprisoned pedophiles. Which is what? Which is why when Billy Graham, who you're going to listen to here um, in just a minute, and he's talking about the research mm-hmm. and the documentation, because what we found is exactly what you just said. He was only interviewing. People who were imprisoned. He sure. was interviewing prostitutes. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, people who did not make up the majority of society. Yeah. So uh, if you know, if you have studied anything about statistics, you know that uh, you can get statistics to say anything you want. It's all dependent on the sample. Right. If I sample pond water as a, as a representation of you know, everybody's drinking water, then I'm going to think that everybody's drinking bacteria all the time. You know, it makes me think of the article right now with the mask mandates that are coming back out. And right. the- if I, if I sample over here where everybody's <laughs> sick, then I can tell everybody, Oh my word, everything. Yeah. So anyway, this is, this is Kinsey. He, he cooked the books and mm-hmm. we'll talk a lot about that as we go. But so with no further ado, here is Reverend Billy Graham from 1953 talking about Alfred Kinsey and his books. During the past few weeks, almost every magazine and newspaper have carried reviews of Kinsey's newest book. His findings are being discussed wherever people congregate. He has used over 800 pages to give the most intimate details of the private lives of 5,940 women. It is impossible to estimate the damage this book will do to the already deteriorating morals of America. None of the sordid details are spared. Young people are encouraged to have premarital experiences. The moral laws governing marriage have been scorned and immorality advocated. After reading this book, happily married husbands and wives are going to start suspecting each other when they read that one out of every four wives is unfaithful to her husband. But Dr. Kinsey's report gives itself away when it says that seven out of ten women who had premarital affairs said that they had no regrets. This is an indication that Dr. Kinsey's report is completely lopsided and unscientific. He certainly could not have interviewed any of the millions of born-again Christian women in this country who put the highest price on virtue, decency, and modesty. I do not know any Christian woman who would submit themselves to such a probing and analysis. Thank God we still have millions of American women who still know how to blush and who believe that virtue is the greatest attribute of womanhood. 
Women who would talk to these secret agents about such intimate details of their lives are not typical of the Christian women of America. Dr. Kinsey's one-sided report is an indictment against American womanhood. It will cause children to doubt the fidelity of their parents and will lead to various types of moral abuses. We all agree with Dr. Kinsey that moral conditions in America are bad. But his report for wholesale public consumption, appealing to the law instincts of human nature, is going to help aggravate the situation. This book is going to teach young people how to do it and how to get away with it. It is going to teach young people that if so many other people are doing it, then it must not be so wrong. It is going to teach our young people moral perversions that they had never even heard of before. Apparently, Dr. Kinsey has completely disregarded the teachings of the church and the moral code of the Bible. But the thing that disturbs me most is the fact that the American people have become so callous to these things that we're no longer appalled at what is happening. We've become so accustomed to immorality that it no longer seems to us to be immorality. Where in heaven's name is our sense of decency and propriety? Beginning at about the turn of the century, a number of philosophies began to have popular acceptance with the American people, and we're now beginning to feel the impact of their teaching. The names of Frederick Nietzsche and his philosophy of the coming Superman, Sigmund Freud with his introduction to psychoanalysis, are all well known to American scholars. It is almost impossible to estimate the power of their behavioristic philosophy. They have convinced many that the Bible is not God's revelation, that salvation is to come through man and not through Christ, and that morality is relative and not absolute. The practical results of this intellectual acceptance of humanism and behaviorism has been a complete degeneration of morals and the abandonment of religious ideals. The wave of behavioristic psychology that swept our college campuses and permeated the high school classrooms is now making its impact on the way our youth are living. Puritanical ideals are scorned, morals are laughed out of school, and God is old-fashioned. From the very beginning, God has given us moral laws governing the subject of sex that are absolute and unchangeable. Nowhere does the Bible teach that sex in itself is a sin, but the Bible condemns the wrong use of sex from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible teaches that sex is the act by which all life on this earth is preserved. Man, with his vile, self-destructive nature, however, has taken what was intended to be the most glorious and complete act of love between two people and made it something low and cheap and filthy. Sex, stripped of mutual love, respect, and the sincere desire to give joy and fulfillment within the holy bonds of matrimony degenerates into the lowest form of immorality. The Bible is one of the world's most outspoken books on the subject of sex. It adopts no hush-hush attitude. It does not try to gloss over sex in either its right or wrong aspects. In trying to overcome the mysterious, let's not pretend, and it doesn't exist attitude, our present generation has put far too much emphasis on the mechanics of it and far too little insistence on the rightness or wrongness of it. There is no doubt that immorality is rampant throughout the nation. But that does not make it right, nor does it give any college professor the justification for advocating the breaking of moral laws. Every newsstand and many movie advertisements are an indication of the depths to which we have fallen morally at the present hour. The little public support that Representative Gathings received for his investigating committee on obscene literature is another indication of our distance from God through sin. The fad in the last generation has been to debunk everything that is old and time-worn. Any theory in science that was older than the theory of relativity seems useless. Any interpretation of history, even by eyewitnesses, came to be doubted and under suspicion unless spoken by a contemporary. All ideas were subject to doubt. Moral standards of yesterday to many are no standard for today, unless supported by the so-called intellectuals. Thousands of these so-called intellectuals have publicly stated that morality is relative, that there is no norm or absolute. They say, just so you enjoy it and no harmful physical or psychological effects occur, then go ahead. It must be all right. But the Bible teaches that it is not all right. 
The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. All over the nation, we have voices that are calling for a new moral injection into our society. We are told by our political and diplomatic leaders that unless we have this moral revival, we cannot survive. And yet, on the other hand, we allow our magazine shelves to be filled with obscene literature. Our young people are having very little restraint put on them. And on our university and college campuses, behaviorism is reigning. In many universities, religion is frowned on and Kinsey is idolized. But in the midst of this dilemma concerning morality stands the word of God as a beacon. It speaks either to assure us when right or to condemn us when wrong. According to the Bible, morals are not relative. They are absolute. When Moses stood at the foot of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, which are the basis of all moral law, God said to him, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. There is nothing in the Bible that would lead us to believe that God has ever lowered his standards. The seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. This has never been revoked or changed in the slightest degree. In fact, Jesus went further and said, Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. All the way through the Bible, immorality is listed with murder and idolatry. In the Old Testament, God demanded the death penalty for this sin. God hated it so much and to such an extent that if a person were proved to be guilty, he was to be stoned. Jesus hated this sin so much that he said that it is the only thing that can break a sacred marriage contract. The Bible teaches that this sin leads to hell. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to earth. Her steps take hold on hell. In Proverbs 7, the Bible says again that this sin is the road to hell for the nation or the individual. Again, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that no immoral person can inherit the kingdom of God. There are hundreds of passages that indicate the wrath of God is being stored up against them that commit such sins. God destroyed whole cities because of immorality and ordered Israel to destroy nations because of their perversions. Ladies and gentlemen, God has not changed. What was wrong 2,000 years ago is still wrong today in his sight. There is no variableness nor shadow of turning with God. He is absolute. And I warn you that his wrath is going to explode upon those that commit immorality and upon those that encourage others to commit it. You know, Billy Graham was so far ahead of his time. He he saw this coming. It's it's amazing to listen to this. And this isn't the whole sermon. We'll put a link to the whole sermon on there. Mm -hmm. Um, and just to listen to him talk about the spiritual implications in 1953, what he saw coming yep. and what he predicted was going to happen. And it's exactly where we are right now, but we are not without hope because the Lord has promised that to all who call on his name, he gives forgiveness. And as believers, it is up to us to share the gospel. That's our purpose in our ministry is to share the gospel with people. We are dependent 100% on the contributions of people like you that are listening to this podcast. Yeah. So thank you all for joining us today. You can learn more about us and our ministry and our new movie, The Mind Polluters, by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us, friends. We will talk to you again next week on Tuesday. Tuesday.